Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Tara Humphrey. I run an award-winning healthcare consultancy specialising in supporting primary care networks. I'm a facilitator. I am a mum of three. I have an MBA and I would class myself as a bit of an adventurer. And I absolutely love all things business, all things leadership, all things management. So I created this podcast for clinical and non-clinical colleagues working in the field of health and care and for those of you looking to develop your leadership skills. Every week we release an episode which focuses on the hard and soft skills required to lead in this increasingly complex environment as we move to delivering more integrated care. So let's jump into this week's episode. Hey, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So in this episode, I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Dr. Ben Allen. Ben is a GP partner in Sheffield, and I invited Ben on because he's done some amazing transformation in his practice. And I wanted him to share a little bit more detail about how his change and transformation has come about. So Ben shares his approach to recruitment. He also shares how he's changed some of the structures in his practice to help better nurture staff. We also talk about his approach to communication with his staff and patients. We also had a really good conversation about kind of the notion of family at work and you know like how workplaces describe themselves as a family and what that means for Ben. And I also talk about what that means for us at THC. I don't know if I explained myself very well, (laughs) but if you're a regular listener, you know me. I really, really enjoyed it. It's like a masterclass. I think it's really helpful to dig into the specifics of things. And I think I've definitely got lots of food for thought. And I know you guys will walk away with lots of ideas as well. And lastly, I hope you enjoy it. And if you enjoy it, I would love it if you would share it. And I'll see you in the next episode. Hey, Ben, thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? Um, absolute pleasure. Yeah, I'm doing well. So all actually, I was going to say all paths lead to Twitter. But actually, I heard you on the General Practice podcast and I thought, oh, damn it, Ben's, Ben's beat me to it. <laughs> yeah yeah no, yeah that, that, that twitter's been the place where i've ended up connecting with lots of people so that's been a real pleasure and then yeah and then you go to a conference and then you end up like trying to find meet people who, you, yeah. who you've been connecting with electronically so that's nice so would you be able to share with our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do today well professionally i'm a gp partner at Burley Health Centre in Sheffield. Been there for about five, six years. I'm a dad of two. Uh, we we foster babies um, <clears throat> and I'm quite interested in in, um, uh, in developing community where I live. I guess the story started for us is where I joined and started to notice that there were things that uh, I was unhappy with, with how things were working. I, I got the sense that people thought, well, general practice is just becoming harder and harder and harder. And, and it's not our fault. It's just lack of resources. You just have to accept that you can't do as good a job as you would like. And I looked around and I felt that there was missed opportunities and unreleased potential. So I was like, okay, actually, I, I think that, I think that yes, that we can't meet demand, actually. I think that's probably my hunch, but there's so much improvement that we can do. 
And so that's where the journey started for me. The improvements that I ended up making were not intuitive ones that I could have made without further learning. I tried to do a few things, didn't work. And then I started reading books kind of by um, around kind of leadership and, and management. So kind of Patrick Lencioni and Brené Brown. I'm just looking on my bookshelf now. Fred Kaufman, Simon Sinek, Adam Grant. And I then started to put a framework together of, okay, what, how do these all these kind of things overlap? And then just started over the last kind of few years putting those principles into place and it's ultimately around how to how to build high performing teams has been the kind of the place I've gone to and some of those things are not particularly obvious but the impact has been amazing for the experience of the staff and the experience of patients and now we've got data coming through showing exactly that which is which is amazing. So could you just share how many partners are in your practice? There's five. Oh naturally there's currently seven but we we're about to lose a couple. Okay. So you've got seven. How big is your population? 9,000. And can you describe your population? Yeah, it's a fairly kind of, um, it's kind of in the middle in terms of deprivation. So it's kind of working, working class, a few professionals, fairly close to the centre of Sheffield. So usually when people come onto the podcast, and it's absolutely great, they share kind of what they've done. But I think what would be really helpful is for you to describe within reason within the time constraint is how you have done it so people come on and they'll say I've transformed you know like I've transformed our team and now we've got a high performing team and now we've got a health hub and now we do this we now we do that and that's great and that's fine but what would be really helpful is if you could pinpoint a few areas and really go it go into detail around how you have transformed your team why do you what steps led to you now feeling like you've got a high performing team and I saw on Twitter you know like you are having a webinar for is it 100 people 100 of your patients to come along well I'm inviting the all 9,000 and see who turns up oh okay sorry so it's like how have you built that engagement with your patients? Have you ever done anything like it before? So just being really, really practical. And I think the reason I'm asking this is sometimes when you're the leader and you know how to do things, you just think, oh, now we do this. And it's quite simple to you. But actually, it still might be simple, but there are lots of steps that led up to that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, interestingly, in that example, that tweet was me saying, what platform can I use? Can anyone tell me? Because I don't know. Um, I use Microsoft Teams, but can I just do that with patients? So I don't know. So that's why I asked on Twitter. Yeah, that's a really good question. So going back to that book example was the how was I was working in practice. I was seeing this unfolding. I could see the morale of the staff, sense that there was something different that could happen. And my response then was to go on YouTube, get books out, if someone else recommended an author, I would I would read it. And if that book was good, then I'd read some more. And then I started to put together these themes. And then I started to work out, okay, how am I how am I going to walk this through? So I would then start to so the the the, the sad reality is that in Brendan and practice, we value patient care above organizing patient care and 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 building a team. It, you know, a sick patient is always going to trump building a team to manage sick patients so initially i had to pretty you know, this was something i did in my own time i mean partly that's the thing about being a partner is actually uh, this is my i this is my business i take ownership over it uh, i take responsibility for the fact that the staff are not enjoying their work and i will in my own time um i'm not saying this is a model for other people but this is just my story was i would then read about that in my own time and then i would i would 
pack, I would do a lot of the work so that when I went to work, there wasn't much to be done. All I might have to say is, look, I'm going to do an hour or two's meeting here and then deliver whatever it is that I'd kind of planned. And I think that at my practice, they were really good about just saying yes to people who've got ideas. So they were, they gave me a lot of permission. So that was one thing is they gave me permission to do things, but then they would, could then observe the fact that actually that this thoughtful work that I was doing was making a difference. They would then start to give me more and more leeway. And a really good example of that was it was in recruitment. I think recruitment is one of the key principles that I could talk about, but recruitment is so important and putting time into that recruitment is so important. And so we put a lot of time into reception recruitment. I was partly trying to practice learning anyway so here's one practical thing tip i didn't know how to do recruitment so i i found someone who runs a recruitment organization he's a friend of mine he gave me a book to read and then we paid him for an hour or two of his time to walk me through how you would recruit receptionists what was the book oh who it's called who um and i can't remember who it's by but we'll put it in the show notes so the book was called who yep and you contacted somebody yeah. that worked for a recruitment company. Okay, the other thing is you mentioned your practice, gave, even though you're, you're part of a partnership, but your practice gave you the permission to learn, read and apply your principles. What would you have done if they had not given their permission? I think I would probably have done it in my own time anyway. I, I managed to argue for some time to do it. Hmm. I probably wouldn't have stayed. Uh, if I really felt like I'd got to grips with what difference I could make and I wasn't able to make some changes like like the recruitment, I think I'd have thought, actually, I've got I really think I've got something here about how to make a practice thrive. And if I can't do it here, I know there'll be somewhere that would that would uh, want me to do it somewhere else I'd have left. What do you mean you didn't know how to do recruitment? You've got a practice manager, you've got staff. Like, what do you what do you mean? Okay, so we had a way. So every practice recruits, so they have a they have a process of recruitment. But so I guess I always look at. Okay, I don't assume that the way that we're doing things now is the best way to do things. Okay, and especially if you can look at it. I mean, just just look at the average advert that that is on NHS online. It's the rubbish. They're so boring. <laughs> so you already can think, oh, surely there's a better way of doing this. Um, and there's people whose job it. Oh, yeah, and there's people whose job it is to do this really, really well. And you speak to them and you tell them what you're doing. And they're just like, seriously, like, yeah. So it's having a sense of curiosity and not accepting that you're doing things the best possible way. Because, I mean, it went, yeah, there's nothing that we're doing the best possible way yet. So it's that, it's that sense of there the probably is a better way of doing, doing things. Let's have a look. Okay. So what does your recruitment process look like now? So I wouldn't say we have a recruitment process. But I could tell you what our process was for a manager. But if we were recruiting someone different, we'd we'd probably create a different process. But I could give you an example through our manager. So first, you try and work out what is it that we really want? What is it we need? What are our needs? And, and speak to the staff. What do you need out of a manager? What's going to make you enable you to thrive? And write all that down. Knowing what your values are as an organization. What is it you want to be doing more of? How do you want to behave? And, and, and making a note of that. And then we might try and create an advert but I would do it I would always try and write it as I would speak so that's one small tip that it, when you read something as it's spoken it's much more warm and engaging something that they talk about in recruitment is sourcing which is not just a case of just sticking an advert in NHS jobs and seeing who applies it's good people know good people so you start putting word out 
And what you're really trying to do is find someone who is a really good cultural fit for your organization um, and that they've, so we're really looking for the person. I mean, I know that when it's clinical, you really, there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of skills that you need, um, but with receptionists and even to some extent with managers, it's about the person that they are um, and that, that, that ends up making the most difference because you, you can learn skills. So our manager came from retail, so he didn't, he'd never worked in the NHS. He's incredible now, but it was because you could work out the kind of person he was, what mattered to him. You could work out how he was going to work. There's a step before that, though, or there's probably a few steps in regards to you have to be clear on the sort of organisation you are and the culture you want and have and the support that you can provide to somebody that doesn't that doesn't necessarily have certain skills or certain piece of experience that will require a bit more time on your end. Yeah. So for the manager, I, at that point, we hadn't defined what our values were. Okay. And at that point, I had like an hour meeting with our partners and now meeting with the rest of the team to try and tease out that tease that out. Since then, we've done a much more. We've actually brought somebody in um, who whose job it is to help tease those things out. And we've done a real lengthy process. But I did a I did a mini process so that we had enough information to be able to recruit the manager. We were also, same as an receptionist actually, but with a manager, we were looking for someone outside the NHS, or I was certainly interested in someone outside the NHS, because I can read books about you know, high-performing teams like in retail or sport uh, or business, but I thought it would be great to have someone come in who's just been in a different world with loads of different principles and ideas, who still fit the values, who could come into the NHS and just, we could inherit a lot of good stuff from other places. So that there was a bit of an intention there. I started talking about the sourcing. So that's just around um, asking around because good, a lot of very, very good people are not looking for another job. But if you were to find them and actually meet them or send them an email and say, look, you'd be so good at this. Could you apply? Then again, that's another way of potentially getting good people. So, So is that sourcing or is that poaching? And does it matter? To email somebody that's already got a job to go, you'd be amazing. You'd be amazing at this job. Okay. So I want every organization that I think is a good organization that's, that's doing some good work and every person to reach their potential. And I want people to get into the role that is right for them. Now, if our, some of our team who are brilliant, our team, and there's a better role for them somewhere else, I would rather they went somewhere else. So I, I want to help people to get into the organization where they're going to flourish and do really good work. The only people we've ever brought into our organization from anywhere else have actually been from outside the NHS. And I actually think given that the NHS is struggling so much and we lose people from the NHS to, to go elsewhere, I don't have any problem with getting someone from retail to come and work for primary care because I think that we deserve it and we need it. Is it okay for your neighbouring practice to say to your manager, you're amazing and I think that you could, I can help you reach your full potential in this practice? I think I see, I see primary care as one big team. So it's not about me having the best practice. It's about us all being the best that we can be. And sometimes that might mean people moving around, but it's not about building empires. Anything else that you feel on your current recruit your recruitment process for your manager is like cherry on the top you can't tell very much from a cv 
So we spoke to a lot of people. We didn't strike off a lot of people. So with receptionists, we had, I think, 50 people applied and we rang 35 people. 15 minute conversations. Well, with the receptionist, you've got to be good on the phone. So that's that's one of the things that's um, uh, quite helpful. And then we still brought a lot of people in. So I so with the manager, I found it really hard to get it down to 12. So we had 12 people come in, six for a half day in the morning, six for a half day in the evening, in the afternoon, and they all they all met at lunch, all 12 of them. Um, so it took a whole day and a lot of planning. And we had different stations where they would meet different partners. They Some of them met, they, we had a station with the patients, and we really thought through how do we get the data that we we, we want from the discussions and then we had a and then we had a discussion and worked out which three we wanted to bring back the next day and we then had another like hour and a half with each of them and this is the bit that i remember really clearly and i was i'd been told by this guy in recruitment that it would you would just love it and i did so we got them to tell a story of their career in they take take like three chunks and for each chunk i think the questions were what were you employed to do what did you do what were the highlights? What were the challenges and how did you overcome them? And why did you leave? And you asked those five questions for each of those chapters of their career. And you take a long time. And, you, and obviously you explore just like you do, Tari. You, you, you tease stuff out of them. It doesn't feel like an interview. It's like a conversation. And honestly, at the end of that hour and a half, I felt like I know who you are. I know what makes you tick. I know what your strengths are. I know what your struggles are. And by the end, it was just became really, I mean, it's two that were just superb and it was really hard to choose. And the guy we've got, it, I was totally right. By the end, I was like, I, I know how you're, I know what you're going to be like with our staff. And he ha- that's exactly what it's been like. And the other guy, I was like, general practice needs you because he was in retail as well. And and so I just, I kept kind of contacting him and saying like, you know, let, let's, <laughs> when things come up, because he couldn't even get, he couldn't even get anyone to reply to his CV, um, but now he's a he's an assistant practice manager and he got Rising Star of the Year in Sheffield. So, if people want, have you got your process written down for this particular process? Yeah. In your recruitment plan, does that encapsulate everything that you have just shared? Yeah, it's okay. on it's on my Medium account and it's uh, February the twenty first, two thousand twenty two. It's called Recruitment Plan. And I've also got some uh, examples of reception adverts and the manager adverts and the manager person's bet. Perfect. What we do, which is slightly different to us, so we use, so thinking about trying to attract the right person to our team and having the job description, I've also done a video so people can see me, I can just talk in informally like this is what it's like. We have our, we also have a recruitment pack. So in that recruitment pack, we talk about the business, how long it's been going for. There is a section on like, what's it like to work with Tara? I've done a disc assessment so they can see I'm a high D, like how I like to be communicated with. We talk about positive behaviours. We talk about kind of undesirable behaviours that don't fit well in the team. And we talk about expectations. We also, so that's in our recruitment pack that we send to people before, just before their interview. I will also do a 15-minute call with people and I like to just bring it on people. <laughs> so I have to phone them up and be like, are you still looking for the role? What are you looking for? And if I invite them to interview, I will say, we will ask you questions like X, Y and Z. So some people think you shouldn't ask 
in advance, you know, like she didn't let them know in advance. I put this on Twitter. Should you share your interview questions in advance? It was pretty split. Some people was like, no, you shouldn't. You know, like, it's like a test. And, you know, like, if they rehearse it, it's not going to be genuine. And other people were like, you want people to be as comfortable as possible. These questions aren't going to be left field. And not everybody is good, you know, like, under pressure. And I do think in our job, actually, we're not, at THC, we're not saving people's lives. We it, Actually, I want quite a thought, you know, like a reflective person. I want somebody to really think about what they're going to say before they say it. Um, so we do share some of the questions in advance. We do have a recruitment pack. We do videos. We have a panel interview. And I will try to feed back, really try to feed back, you know, like specific things around everybody gets feedback, whether they got the job or not, just so they know how they came across. And we don't like to leave people hanging around. I remember when we hired Lauren, she barely got downstairs. <laughs> we were all watching her outside the window and I phoned her. You know, like when someone's good, it's like we don't need to play hard to get. Some some roles, you know, like you want to sleep on it. But sometimes it's, you know, like in an interview and you're like, you know, like you get all the good vibes, you think about it and it's like a yes. And she's been re- really successful in the team. So hopefully that gives people some some other ideas. Well, it's a great, you know, it's, it's great, Tara, to hear that. And I think that there's just so much stuff around recruitment that we could be using. Uh, and it's a thing around breaking down the barriers between organizations. And I think that primary care is a silo. And my hunch is that, that recruitment is something that we, every, I mean, everything we do in a rush, because we're just so busy and overrun. And it's that thing of, of, of saying, actually, we're really, really busy. So we're going to spend a really long time on recruitment because that's going to be the thing that's going to and that's going to um, make a massive difference going forward. So, yeah, it, but it's that thing around yeah, get, getting those principles that you're talking about. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you proudly in partnership with 10,000 donors and their Gob for Good campaign. Gob for Good is all about getting as many people as possible to join the stem cell registry. Only 3% of the UK are registered to be stem cell donors and only 0.4% of the global population. If you or a loved one have the devastating news that you have been diagnosed with a blood cancer, the chances of you finding your blood stem cell match is significantly reduced if you have a minority ethnic heritage. It is really, really simple. All you need to do is click into the show notes or visit the Gob for Good website at gobforgood.com and get yourself signed up to the registry. You could one day receive that life-saving call or one day you may need that life-saving call. Now, let's jump back into this week's episode. Okay, so we've recruited our superstars how do we nurture them keep them develop them so at our practice there was a definite value on looking after staff we talked about being family but there was definitely times when that was not what it felt like for the staff and it was really important to distinguish between what you say the the kind of organization that you want that you want to be or think you are with what people actually receive so that disconnect is really important and what I found was, uh, this is just speaking from my practice, was that we had the right ethos, but we just didn't have the actual structure that meant that that ethos would play out. So you, so we had a manager ultimately trying to look after 30 staff. And so the, the partners were all GPs. So, you know, we're, anyone who worked in our team was going to have 
good support. But the <clears throat> there wasn't a very clear um, team leader structure. And I got the sense that for people to be looked after, you needed someone looking out for you who wasn't looking out for any more than about eight people. Because part of that is you need to be known, understood, um, having regular conversations about what your strengths are, what you're struggling with, where you want to go, what's going on in your home life. Um, and that needs to happen both at a, a really good quality appraisal, but also just day to day. And so you need to have those, you need to have that kind of smaller structure. But the who's doing that is also really important. So that's about finding the right leaders. And that was something that we had to do some work on because traditionally, I think often the people who become leaders are people who've just been around the longest or the most clinically senior. And, or we've got quite poor ideas of what good leadership is because often around certainty, having a physical presence about you, having authority, um, certainty. And I, I've heard that actually they, 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 um, they're inversely proportional with good leadership so what i think of as good leadership is people who listen who care who are interested who people admire who are who are um, nurturing who want to bring out the best in people they're emotionally intelligent and those people often don't think of themselves as leaders because they don't match the previous description so you need to find those people and you help them to get into positions where their job is to lead the team, but also to nurture people. So then when you're an organization that says we want to look after our staff, and we want people to bring the best out of them and people to reach their potential. You've got small teams led by someone who is really gifted at that. I want to just go back a couple of steps. What does it mean to operate like a family in your practice? And there's two schools of thoughts on this. Do you want an organisation that operates like a family? You know, like in my family, I would I'd talk to my husband how I wouldn't talk to my assistant or, you know, like I might act in a way because I feel supported and loved and cared for at home that I wouldn't necessarily want to act like that at work. So what does it mean to operate as a family in your practice? There's no right or wrong. There's just different kinds of organizations. Some organizations are going to have a, uh, a family um, approach, and I'll tell you about ours, and some are not. And that's that thing around recruitment. It's really key, really important to know which one you are, that, yeah, that you, you can get the kind of organization that you want. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about the culture at THC. We're close, but I, would, I wouldn't describe it as a... I suppose when, when I think fa- when I think family, I think of like the Humphrey family. <laughs> like, there's loads of us. It was really big, and I just yeah, I think at work it, there is a boundary. We're very close, but it's work. So I, I think there's a sense that that I hear that people come to work to do a job. You don't bring your home life to work. You get on. You've got tasks to do. Just get on with it, and then and then go home. And and that might be how some organisations function. But I don't. I, we're 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 one person. Like I I I my my sense is that you can't just leave all your home life at home. You we're, we're one person. So and I think when people really bring their whole self to work, and that is about um all. It's not just about what their skills, their job role. It's like what are you really good at? What are you interested in? Um, but also what's what's going on for you? And you know, not everyone's going to share everything with everyone. Um, but I think there's a sense that we are open. Uh, and so one of the 
one of the themes that has been really crucial has been about psychological safety and people feeling just uh, trying to lose the inhibition that means that you don't feel safe to say what you really think or what's really going on for you and so um so I, I and, and try and erode the hierarchy, which I think we've done quite a lot on. So I think people are able to just talk about what their the challenges are, what they think is going wrong. Um, when there's a conflict, it's able to be it's able to come out and to be able to be discussed. And so there's that kind of flat, kind of free discussion of what's going on, but also how people are feeling about things. Um, and then kind of relate kind of related to that, we've got a, we've got a WhatsApp group that's got everybody on. And people are like sharing the stuff that they're doing and they're sharing little kind of things that have um, achievements that they've done or uh, holiday pictures. Those kind of things for me are really rich because you start to see people for more than just someone who comes to work and does a job. They're a person with a life with passions and interests outside of work. And, and I think that adds a richness to the work environment, but it's not for everybody. And if that's not for you, it's really important that you don't come and work with us. I think we're close, but I I personally just wouldn't use that word. I wouldn't say come and work with THC. You know, like we're like a close-knit family. I've worked in organisations where it feels like that and it's hard to penetrate. It's hard to go into a team that feels very like we're a family and we're really close and we all know what's going on. If you're a new member of staff, that sometimes that can be it can, that can be daunting but for some people, not for everybody and not all organisations. But personally... I want people to come to work. I want them to bring as much as they want to at work. But I also want them to know that it's just work. It's not your whole life. I want you to switch off. I don't want, we don't have a WhatsApp group. Everyone has a work mobile phone. I I won't message you on holiday. I won't message you at the weekend. I want you to come to work and be all in at work. And then when you're at home, I want you to be all in at home and come back to work refreshed. So that's that's the culture that that I want to create. I don't think our approach is wrong. I don't think it's it's not innovative. I just, I want to keep, that's kind of how I want to nurture people. I want, what our value is all in. When you're here, I want you to be all in. It doesn't mean, I've got three kids. Your home life can seep into your work life, but I don't want your work life to seep into your home life that it has a negative effect. And I I agree with you in all of that. And it's not about your work life seeping into your home life because we actually have a work WhatsApp group that's got quite tight rules around when you use that. And that's about, you know, pieces of work or information. This is the, the social one is more around allowing people's, the relationships that they have at work to be present outside of work if you want to, because that that group is optional as well. Would you be able to share your approach to communication with your staff and patients? Because I think it's really cool. So they're distinctly different, I think. So I'll talk about staff first. So one of those things relates back to what we're talking about leadership is that having people who are in who are looking after a particular team will often get information about what's going on. And so we used to have a partners meeting the way we tried to solve all the problems. And I noticed that it was the partners and the manager. That meant it was the GPs and the manager, which meant that one person's representing the rest of the team. And we've got a lot of people from the GP team. So it wasn't, so that wasn't a, that how we, how we meant to know what's really going on and have all the right people in the room to solve the problem. So once we had the right people leading the teams, we can now have a different kind of a meeting that has somebody from each 
area meeting together and they can bring the problems that are going on. We can solve them together as a, as a team and then those things can go back and to be explained to the staff. So that's, that's one way of doing it. That's one part of it. Another was how do, how do people want to be updated about things that are going on? And so we actually did a poll and said, look, how do you want information? Do you want it by notice board or WhatsApp or meetings or email? Yeah, uh, WhatsApp and email were in everyone's top two. So we try to deliver updates that way. Now, when you're having a meeting, we used to have a lot of meetings that were just updates, almost like, well, we didn't really think people were going to read the updates. So we just have, and like, I just think like that time together is so precious with what, and it's really important to use that time for something that you all need to actually be in the room for so it's going to be around discussion engagement so we've got this challenge let's split up into groups uh, or, or let's hear what people think the challenges are at the moment or we've got a particular challenge let's let's get everyone's views about um about ideas about how we can solve this can we have a bit of a vote on what we think is the right way forward so that's the kind of like that dialogue and that engagement happens um um as a, as a team I think that's probably the main thing for the staff. So my sense is that general practice is overwhelmed and, and we're no different actually. <laughs> um, and one of the responses can be to just put bigger and bigger walls. You know, you make it harder and harder to get in. Um, and people, when you start having a chat to the patients about the service that they've got and they're angry, you, you're already overwhelmed. Having an angry patient just makes it even worse to actually then stop engaging. And my hunch was that we need to do the opposite. <laughs> So we need really good information from patients. And that's why we've used, we've, we've put a lot of effort into an online tool that gathers lots of information from patients and we've increased access by getting more information, but it's often, you can still come in by the phones, but lots of people will write their own version, free text of what, what's going on. So that way we kind of like that communication into the practice. What's the, what's the tool? It's Ask My GP we use. Okay. And so that, so that was just about, that was about improving access ultimately. So all the stuff to do with improving access is about improving your communication in. But I think the really interesting piece that I think is a bit unusual for us was around Facebook and how we use Facebook. So we had us put the PPG, but it was kind of maybe 12 people that would come. Um, and what I felt was, particularly around the time when we had all the COVID stuff knocking off, was people are like, fine, they're, they're ringing reception just to get information about something about the service i'm like where's our communication plan how are we telling people about what's going on so that was when we started the facebook group and initially i think my thinking was let let's just make sure that we're really freely like telling people stuff so if if there are if two or three people ring up in the same day asking the same question let's get that answered and put it on facebook so people can see but then we started using things a bit differently and that I was like, well, actually, so I would have a consultation with someone, let's say after a bereavement or something. And I'm thinking, well, this information I've given to you is stuff that I'd give to everyone who I speak to bereavement. So I'm going to write down everything that I, all the thoughts I had and I put it on a, uh, on, on the Facebook. So it's like, well, you know, if, if you're going through a bereavement or you go in the future, you, you know a bit more about what might, what might help in that scenario. And then we went through the next step, which was, let's start asking patients about their experience. How do we get there? So I, I think I actually wrote one about one about bereavement, for example. I said, look, uh, people who've been through bereavement understand things that even as clinicians don't understand about bereavement. Can you explain some of the things that people did well for you so you can share it with everyone else? And then there was this thread of about 20 people saying what the things that made a difference to them was. And it was so good. I then wrote that. I wrote a piece about it and put it in the star, the Sheffield newspaper. So I'm like, well, 
let's have the whole of the city being able to benefit from these kind of stories. And then we would also go out and ask questions around the service. So rather than just putting out a service saying, this is our service, like it or leave, it was that question of, okay, um, what matters to you? What what are your frustrations? And then I would um I would then write really honest kind of descriptions of this is these are the challenges that we face, this is the feedback we've had, and these are the things that we've put in place to try and manage and and and, and know that some of these things are frustrating, but let me try and explain why we're doing it this way. And then I think that that people and people would then would reply and say, well, I just I just think you should be able to see a GP. And then I would reply to that and I'd explain it again. And this kind of process of engagement, I think, meant that people started to get it because nationally, the national team is not explaining to the patients all the stuff that's changing. And it's a huge mistake. So but we're doing it. Um, I don't want to do it one to one, but I could do it. You know, there's a thousand people in our Facebook group. Uh, and so I think that's I think that makes a difference. And so then going back to the original thing, the webinar, it's like, well, why not just invite them all onto a video chat and, you know, write things in the in the comments and let's have a discussion. Are you the anchor for this comms or is it is it kind of shared across the team? So if you weren't there, if you left, do you think that culture of that communication would still be just as present? Well, it's really interesting because only two days ago, I found out that our manager had put something on because I think he felt the receptionists were getting um, getting a lot of very difficult phone calls and he felt the need to write something. So he wrote a very honest piece. Uh, he got it checked with a few of the people and put it on. Um, and it's actually been picked up by, I was on the BBC radio this morning and uh, another newspaper wants us to write something about it because it was so it was so honest and heartfelt. But underneath his kind of like, we're really struggling, we're doing our best, please be kind. There was just an avalanche of people saying, you're doing a brilliant job. Thanks for all the work that you do. And that is a recurrent theme. When we put stuff on there, um, people are really, really encouraging. I think people think on Facebook they're going to get slated, but most people have a good experience and most people care. And actually you get a lot of great um, feedback that way. One of the things you said before we press record was because general practice, you know, like the demand is so high and there isn't the capacity to be able to support, you know, like each patient one-on-one in the way that you would like. That's why communication and comms is so important and using the the tech and the digital and Facebook groups to try to communicate the same, you know, like reoccurring messages en masse. So I think just how you describe that thought was really helpful. Okay, I just want to go back 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 but I think it relates when you said when we were talking about nurturing the team and setting up basically one person can't manage 30 people and having smaller having smaller teams and sourcing those leaders I just we didn't kind of dig into how did you set that up did you promote people did you give people different titles how did you change that structure to make sure that there was more nurturing and more communication and that one-to-one support to be more manageable each situation is different so i can tell you the i can tell you how he did each situation um but because it's a lot about listening and getting a sense of where the team's at so with one team there was somebody who really wasn't a leader who was leading a team and there was someone else who was a leader who was actually leading the team and i had to have a discussion with this person um who was who leading the team and explain the situation. She's clinically the most senior. You're, um, you're, you're the senior, you're the person who's doing all the teaching, but leading is a different hat and a different role. And it doesn't need to be the same person who leads on all three areas. This person is 
already really leading the team and it's really important that there's that that disconnect isn't there between who's leading and who's who's got the authority to lead and i think that we need to do something with that and she she agreed actually um in an in the in another team it was actually there was no team leader because um it, it, it because previous team leaders had worked out so badly it was quite a very very dysfunctional team and and with that i had to build the i had to build the teamwork within that team so it was that building the psychological safety and building the trust so people could start speaking and being honest about what they thought that took time and then i thought it's really important that instead of being told who their leader is because that would happen previously and not worked i really want to build a consensus that they even want or need a team leader so that was the first piece and then it was a question of saying well have you got anyone within your team who you actually want it to be and they all said yeah Rachel, job done. <laughs> um, and then with with the manager, it was that was a real heavy. That was a, been a big recruitment process, and and one of the other teams. Uh, I don't think they're ready for a team leader yet for various reasons. So actually, there isn't a team leader in that um, in in that area. But I want there to be. But I don't know if it's going to recruit someone in or force someone to be when it's not yet when it's not ready yet. So all all four different. What would you say to somebody listening to this thinking? I don't have the time for this. I've got a family. I know I'm a partner. I know it's my business. But literally, there is no, there is no, there's no time in my day to write a book. Not just one book, multiple books. <laughs> and pull together my own framework. What would you say? So the first thing is, this, is, this work isn't for everybody. So this is a particular so if you're listening to this and coming alive and thinking yes i want to do this kind of things you're that kind of person but it might be that you're not so it's being so this is this is the kind of work that's just for certain people who love these kind of principles and ideas i think one answer to my question is you don't have time not to i didn't have time not to sort out the recruitment and so it meant that things like doing things uh doing work instead of doing clinical work i was doing recruitment um if a, someone went off on long-term sick, you would find a way to muddle together enough of a team to do the best job you could with the patients. Uh, it's a similar thing when you've got something really important to do like recruitment. And here's another story where I was on call and our lead receptionist was really wanting to get going with the recep- with the reception recruitment. They didn't have enough staff and it was just, it was really, they was really desperate. I was really busy. And I said, look, I'm not going to have time to do it today after all. And she said, no. We need to do it today. I can't cope in reception how things are. We need to get that advert out today. And she was right. So it was her. So again, it's that thing around having the hierarchy and having the, having the, the psychological safety for people to challenge each other. And actually, yeah, it took me an hour of my time to sit down and, and, and help her to, to finish the process. Well, that meant that we have, you know, two or, two or three people arriving potentially a couple of weeks earlier and think how much help that's going to be. So it's just about, it's just standard thing around investing. And, and the more time that you invest, the more time it saves later on. And, you know, the, the data from our practice, and we've not talked about this yet, have we? but the data is amazing. And we weren't chasing data. I was just like, I think we can do better for patients and better for our staff. And I didn't, uh, and the, the data on uh, on access, uh, huge improvements on continu- continuity of care, which of course is rooted in reception because who else puts the appointments in and the ease of getting an appointment and the overall satisfaction has gone up loads. And 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 the, 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 the experience of being at work has gone up. But you, 
you, you have to put in the that groundwork. And I don't know if there's anything that I can produce or share that would be a catalyst for people on their journey. You know, I'm happy to follow this up afterwards and try and like put some stuff together. So you don't have to read 15 books. You could, you could listen, you could you know read a couple of documents in a, in a podcast or a video that could help be a catalyst so that people can have a bit of a fast track to doing some things. And, and I'm, in fact, I've, and I'm, I can help people now as well. Cause I've actually, I've actually stepped down from my ICB role to create some time for me to be able to, to meet with people and share ideas and and so i could potentially help people to to make some changes and and, and walk kind of coach them through whatever their situation is too so if people want to get in touch with you where is the best place to contact you well my, my probably my email ben.allen1 at nhs.net um or on twitter is fine as well excellent i'll leave your twitter handle below um i could talk to you all day but we've got to crack on thank you so so much such a joy to chat to you sarah you you're just the best interview your questions you're the way you would help <laughs> extract all the good stuff out of people i love it thank you so much for joining us if you like what you hear i would absolutely love it if you left us an itunes rating and five star review I know many of you give us a shout out on social media, which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast. So please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram and on LinkedIn. Just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, please do. You get to hear more insights, more confessions, some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.